Welcome to Daily Airs. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. There's something new on Airs LA every day. I'm your host, Annette Bro, and every Monday, I review varying events that happen during This Week in History, brought to you from A&E Networks, The History Channel, and History.com. August 21. On this date in history, in the year 1920, Christopher Robbins' birthday. Daphne Milne, wife of writer A.A. Milne, gives birth to a son who the couple named Christopher Robin Milne on August 21, 1920. Christopher Robin would be immortalized in A.A. Milne's books, Winnie the Pooh and The House at Pooh Corner. A.A. Milne was born in London in 1882, the youngest of three sons. His parents were both school teachers. His father was headmaster at a school where H.G. Wells taught. His family claimed Milne taught himself to read at age two. He began writing humorous pieces as a schoolboy and continued at Cambridge, where he edited the undergraduate paper. In 1903, he left Cambridge and went to London to write. Although he was broke by the end of his first year, he persevered and supported himself until 1906 with his writing. That year, he joined humor magazine Punch as an editor and wrote humorous verse and essays for the magazine for eight years until World War I broke out. While at Punch, he wrote his first book for adults, not children. 1913, he married Daphne and two years later went to France to serve in World War I. While in the military, he wrote three plays, one of which, Mr. Pym Passes By, became a hit in 1919 and provided financial security for the family. In 1920, the couple's only son, Christopher Robin, was born. In 1925, the family bought Cotchford Farm in Sussex. A nearby forest inspired the 100-acre wood where Winnie the Pooh's adventures would be set. Milne published two volumes of the verse he wrote for his son. When We Were Very Young was published in 1924, followed by Now We Are Six in 1927. When Christopher Robin was about one, he received a stuffed bear as a present. The child soon accumulated a collection of similar animals, which inspired Milne to begin writing a series of whimsical stories about the toys. Winnie the Pooh was published in 1926 and The House at Pooh Corner in 1928. Ernest Shepard illustrated the books using Christopher Robin and his animals as models. A. A. Milne wrote numerous other books and plays, but is remembered almost solely for his beloved children's work. He died in 1956. Christopher Robin died in 1996. August 22. On this date in history, in the year 1864, the International Red Cross is founded. The Geneva Convention of 1864 for the amelioration of the condition of the wounded and sick of armies in the field is adopted by 12 nations meeting in Geneva. The agreement, advocated by Swiss humanitarian Jean-Henri Dunant, called for nonpartisan care to the sick and wounded in times of war and provided for the neutrality of medical personnel. It also proposed the use of an international emblem to mark medical personnel and supplies. In honor of Dunant's nationality, a red cross on a white background, the Swiss flag in reverse was chosen. 
The organization became known as the International Committee of the Red Cross. In 1901, Dunant was awarded the first Nobel Peace Prize. In 1881, American humanitarians Clara Barton and Adolphus Solomons founded the American National Red Cross, an organization designed to provide humanitarian aid to victims of wars and natural disasters in congruence with the International Red Cross. August 23. On this date in history, in the year 1989, Pete Rose gets booted from baseball. As punishment for betting on baseball, Cincinnati Reds manager Pete Rose accepts a settlement that includes a lifetime ban from the game. A heated debate continues to rage as to whether Rose, a former player who remains the game's all-time hits leader, should be given a second chance. Although gambling on a sport you play or coach is now considered unacceptable in nearly all levels of sport, it was relatively common among those connected with baseball in the early 20th century. Some of baseball's most talented and well-known players, such as Turkey, Mike Donlin, and Hal Chase, as well as manager John McGraw, who publicly won $400 when his New York Giants won the World Series in 1905, were often suspected of gambling on their own games. Chase was considered a dangerous man to have on a team because of his willingness to make extra money by dropping fly balls or misplaying first base. This all changed, however, after the White Sox purposefully lost the World Series in 1919 for a payoff from gambler Arnold Rothstein. Outraged, a group of baseball's faithful, including American League Commissioner Ben Johnson, former player and manager Chris Mathewson, and White Sox owner Charles Comiskey, among others, made it a priority to clean up the game and repair its reputation. Kanisa Mountain Landis, a former federal judge, was hired as Major League Baseball's first commissioner to crack down on corruption. One of the Landis's first move was to ban eight White Sox players found to be involved in the World Series betting scandal from the game for life, including Chase and shoeless Joe Jackson, one of the greatest players in baseball history. Major League Baseball Rule 21D now states that a player faces a ban of one year for betting on any baseball game and a lifetime ban for betting on his own team. In addition, signs posted prominently in every clubhouse reminds players that gambling is not permitted. It was known in baseball circles since the 1970s that Pete Rose had a gambling problem. Although at first, he bet only on horse races and football games, allegations surfaced in early 1989 that Rose was not only betting on baseball, but on his own team. Major League Baseball Commissioner A. Bartlett Giamatti began an inquiry and hired Washington lawyer John Dowd to head the investigation. Dowd compiled hundreds of hours of testimony from numerous sources that detailed Rose's history of gambling on baseball while serving as the manager of the Cincinnati Reds, including betting on his own team. Although Rose continued to proclaim his innocence, he was eventually persuaded to accept a settlement that included a lifetime ban from the game. At a subsequent press conference, Giamatti characterized Rose's acceptance of the ban as a no-contest plea to the charges against him. In 2004, after years of repeated denials, Rose published My Prison Without Bars, in which he finally confessed to gambling on the Reds, though he added that he always bet on the Reds to win. Because of the lifetime ban, Rose cannot work in Major League Baseball and, despite his stellar playing career, he is not eligible for the Hall of Fame.
August 24, on this date in history, in the year 2006, Pluto is demoted. In Prague, on August 24, 2006, the International Astronomical Union votes to demote Pluto from the ninth planet from the Sun to one of dozens of known dwarf planets. The vote followed a week of debate by the IAU, who voted on multiple proposals, including one that kept not just Pluto as a planet, but added two new planets, the asteroid Ceres and Pluto's moon Charon. The ultimate proposal defined the word planets, which comes from the Greek word planets or wanderers, supposedly once and for all. Planets are celestial objects large enough to be made rounded by their gravitational orbit around the sun and to have pushed away nearby planetary objects and debris. Two years later, the IAU decided on a name for dwarf planets similar to Pluto, Plutoid, grouping Pluto, and Eris. Some influential astronomers were caught off guard by the procedure, questioning the final proposal's logic and pointing to the low turnout of voters, 424 astronomers, out of about 10,000 professional astronomers worldwide. At the IAU conference, one astronomer pointed to the contradiction that Earth, Mars, Jupiter, and Neptune all have nearby asteroids. I'm embarrassed for astronomy, he said. Less than 5% of the world's astronomers voted. This scientific reclassification has had a worldwide cultural impact, as suggested by the American Dialect Society's choice of Plutoed as 2006 Word of the Year, meaning to demote or devalue someone or something. Our members believe the great emotional reaction of the public to the demotion of Pluto shows the importance of Pluto as a name, the society's president said. Some state legislators have even named March 13 Pluto Day in stubborn dismissal of Pluto's demotion. August 25. On this date in history, in the year 1835, the Great Moon Hoax is published in the New York Sun. The first in a series of six articles announcing the supposed discovery of life on the moon appears in the New York Sun newspaper. Known collectively as the Great Moon Hoax, the articles were supposedly reprinted from the Edinburgh Journal of Science. The byline was Dr. Andrew Grant, described as a colleague of Sir John Herschel, a famous astronomer of the day. Herschel had in fact traveled to Cape Town, South Africa in January 1834 to set up an observatory with a powerful new telescope. As Grant described it, Herschel had found evidence of life forms on the moon, including such fantastic animals as unicorns, two-legged beavers, and furry-winged humanoids resembling bats. The articles also offered vivid descriptions of the moon's geography, complete with massive craters, enormous amethyst crystals, rushing rivers, and lush vegetation. The New York Sun, founded in 1833, was one of the new penny press papers that appealed to a wider audience with a cheaper price and a more narrative style of journalism. From the day the first moon hoax article was released, sales of the paper shot up considerably. It was exciting stuff, and... Readers lapped it up. The only problem was that none of it was true. The Edinburgh Journal of Science had stopped publication years earlier, and Grant was a fictional character. The articles were most likely written by Richard Adams Locke, a Sun reporter educated at Cambridge University. 
intended as satire, they were designated to poke fun at earlier serious speculations about extraterrestrial life, particularly those of Reverend Thomas Dick, a popular science writer who claimed in his best-selling books that the moon alone had 4.2 billion inhabitants. Readers were completely taken in by the story, however, and failed to recognize it as satire. The craze over Herschel's supposed discovery even fooled a committee of Yale University scientists who traveled to New York in search of the Edinburgh Journal articles. After Sun employees sent them back and forth between the printing and editorial offices, hoping to discourage them, the scientists returned to New Haven without realizing they had been tricked. On September 16, 1835, the Sun admitted the articles had been a hoax. People were generally amused by the whole thing, and sales of the paper didn't suffer. The Sun continued operation until 1950, when it merged with the New York World Telegram. The merger folded in 1967. A New York Sun newspaper was founded in 2002, but it had no relation to the original. August 26. On this date in history, in the year 1939, the first televised Major League Baseball game. The first televised Major League Baseball game is broadcast on station W2XBS, the station that was to become WNBC-TV. Announcer Red Barber called the game between the Cincinnati Reds and the Brooklyn Dodgers at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn, New York. At the time, television was still in its infancy. Regular programming did not yet exist, and very few people owned television sets. There were only about 400 in the New York area. Not until 1946 did regular network broadcasting catch on in the United States, and only in the mid-1950s did television sets become more common in the American household. In 1939, the World's Fair, which was being held in New York, became the catalyst for the historic broadcast. The television was one of the fair's prize exhibits, and organizers believed that the Dodgers-Reds doubleheader on August 26th was the perfect event to showcase America's grasp on the new technology. By today's standards, the video coverage was somewhat crude. There were only two stationary camera angles. The first was placed down the third baseline to pick up infield throws to first, and the second was placed high above the home plate to get an extensive view of the field. It was also difficult to capture fast-moving plays. Swinging bats looked like paper fans, and... The ball was all but invisible during pitches and hits. Nevertheless, the experiment was a success, driving interest in the development of television technology, particularly for sporting events, though baseball owners were initially concerned that televising baseball would sap actual attendance, they soon warmed to the idea. In particular, they embraced the possibilities for revenue generation that came with increased exposure of the game, including the sale of rights to air certain teams or games and television advertising. Today, televised sports is a multi-billion dollar industry with technology that gives viewers an astounding amount of visual and audio detail. Cameras are now so precise that they can capture the way a ball changes shape when struck by a bat, and athletes are wired to pick up field-level and sideline conversation. August 27. On this date in history, in the year 1883, Krakatoa explodes. One of the most powerful volcanic eruptions in recorded history occurs on Krakatoa, a small, uninhabited volcanic island east of Sumatra and west of Java, 
on August 27, 1883. Heard 3,000 miles away, the explosion threw five cubic miles of earth 50 miles into the air, created 120-foot tsunamis, and killed 36,000 people. Krakatoa exhibited its first stirrings in more than 200 years on May 20, 1833. A German warship passing by reported a seven-mile-high cloud of ash and dust over Krakatoa. For the next two months, similar explosions would be witnessed by commercial liners and natives on nearby Java and Sumatra. With little to no idea of the impending catastrophe, the local inhabitants greeted the volcanic activity with festive excitement. On August 26 and August 27, excitement turned to horror as Krakatoa literally blew itself apart, setting off a chain of natural disasters that would be felt around the world for years to come. An enormous blast on the afternoon of August 26 destroyed the northern two-thirds of the island as it plunged into the Sunda Strait. Between the Java Sea and Indian Ocean, the gushing mountain generated a series of pyroclastic flows, fast-moving fluid bodies of molten gas, ash and rock, and monstrous tsunamis that swept over nearby coastlines. Four more eruptions beginning at 5.30 a.m. the following day proved cataclysmic. The explosions could be heard as far as 3,000 miles away, and ash was propelled to a height of 50 miles. Fine dust from the explosion drifted around the earth, causing spectacular sunsets and forming an atmospheric veil that lowered temperatures worldwide by several degrees. Of the estimated 36,000 deaths resulting from the eruption, at least 31,000 were caused by the tsunamis created when much of the island fell into the water. The greatest of these waves measured 120 feet high and washed over nearby islands, stripping away vegetation and carrying people out to sea. Another 4,500 people were scorched to death from the pyroclastic flows that rolled over the sea, stretching as far as 40 miles according to some sources. In addition to Krakatoa, which is still active, Indonesia has another 130 active volcanoes, the most of any country in the world. And that wraps up our This Week in History podcast for August 21 through August 27. If you'd like to learn more about Airs LA, including streaming audio, podcasts, and more, we invite you to connect or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook social media platforms. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind and print-impaired audience. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Annette Rowe, and I'll return next week to bring you more events that happen during Next Week in History. Until then... Thanks for listening.